All right. Well, wow. Got a great podcast for you guys today. You're in for a real special treat with this one. And I really mean it. Uh, you know, I can't, I say it at all time, but really, seriously, I mean, this was, we dove in deep uh, on this one and uh, was honored to have uh, Master Shaman Hamilton Souther on the podcast. So it was uh, truly uh, just uh, a real mind expanding mind jam of a session here. And uh, we, uh, we talked about everything, life itself, right? We talked about everything. And um, for those of you who, who don't know, Hamilton Souther is a shaman, a maestro, a master of the plants and the spirits, an ayahuascaro, um, somebody who had ventured down into the jungles of Peru to learn the ways of the indigenous healers there. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really great podcast episodes where Hamilton goes into detail about his story. And I'm sure you could find also some articles online that talk about him because he's something of a phenomenon, sort of a, a birthing of a new age of mixing and the kind of Western mind in with the indigenous uh, cultures and, and healers of the shamanic uh, uh, ayahuasca tradition. And, and really, you know, Hamilton got involved in all this stuff, you know, around the, the birth of the millennium and uh, around 2000. And, um, you know, before I think we, we have this kind of boom that we have now, this like, you know, people calling this psychedelic renaissance. So he was down there early on, uh, you know, learning from the greats, learning from people that took him under his wing. And like I said, I'll throw in some links I know Corey Allen has a few podcasts with him, Aubrey Marcus as well. I'll throw in some links if you guys want to learn more after you listen to this episode, of course. Um, <laughs> listen to this episode. And then if you want to learn more about his story, I'll throw those links in there as well. And um, I'll give you a brief background uh, about Hamilton. He's just a wonderful guy. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I felt like uh, this was a great conversation. You know, we connected right away, started talking, and it just kept rolling from there. And just uh, I get the the sense of uh, somebody, you know, doing these podcasts. You know, we're connecting on on Skype and through technology, so we're not I'm not in the room with him. And, and but I get I felt the presence of of really being there. Uh, he's a very present person and you can feel that you can sense that and uh genuine and authentic and it, it comes off you could tell it's uh you know when you're when you're sitting with somebody when you're in a space with somebody like that you know when you're in the digital space so to say but uh but yeah he he's a he's got a fascinating story he's a he's a thought leader uh an innovator pioneer and he's the co-founder of white morpho uh he's got blue morpho tours of course which is the, the center that you can go down to in the Amazon, Blue Morpho Tours. Um, and he uh, he's working on all these other really, really super interesting projects. And we talk a little bit about them uh, in this podcast. But uh, but yeah, I, I'm just, uh, I don't know, you know, it's like this is another one of those, those podcasts where sometimes I feel like I want to say more in this intro but uh, but really, I mean, I just want you guys to experience this this podcast because, you know, that's what it is. It's an experience. You know, just it's it. Join us for this conversation. Be sit in with us and and 
you know, think with us and and jam with us and and listen along. And I hope that uh, I hope that um, we can expand minds together and and uh, and share this and spread it. You know, if this is uh, if this is something that connects with you and resonates with you. And as always. Thank you so much to all the wonderful people out there that support this show, either with your donations on Patreon uh, or by just leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes. I mean, it's just, uh, it really is, you know, we're all in this together. We're in this like connected web of, of, of game changers here, of, of, of innovating and changing and, and becoming more human and um, understanding ourselves more. And that's that's what I hope to accomplish with this medium, with this technology, is just reaching out there and just sharing uh, and and providing providing interesting and gripping, thought provoking ideas and and experiences, and uh, and yeah, really, I mean, I couldn't have I couldn't have a, a better guest on on the show today. I mean, it was just like it, it just uh, sometimes you you talk to the the right people at the right time, you know, th- those sorts of things, kind of synchronistic events. Well, uh, definitely, you know, I felt like it was, uh, it was one of those, you know, so I hope you guys, uh, enjoy this. And of course, uh, go and check out after you listen to, to this show, go and check out all the work that, that Hamilton's doing. Go, go look at, uh, more of, uh, his story and, and, and find out more about it because this is a, a person that is deeply interesting, deeply compassionate, uh, and, and doing a lot of amazing, uh, work and putting a lot of, of good into the world. And uh, and helping uh, helping people is really what what this what this is all about. You know, I talk a lot about how uh, one of the things that really that I find to be like a currency for me that's that's like you know more important than a currency. You know, because I talk about ways that you could support the show where you can use dollars and you can kind of support me that way in that in that form of currency. But another way that we that you could support the show is by leaving ratings and reviews or by sending me messages. When I get your messages, when I see your ratings and reviews, when I read the reviews, the things that you guys say about the show and the things that you guys say about me, that is so much support. You know, that that is that is a currency in and of itself. It, it allows me to keep going and keep moving forward and and you know, hopefully I can support you and Hamilton can support you and you know other guests that I have on the show can support you and we could create this feedback loop of support and just help each other and make things grow that are really cool, interesting, healthy and fun. And uh and that's that's what the goal is. But enough of me, enough of this rambling intro. Let's get let's get down to business. And uh yeah. Let's let's dive into this conversation with the great, with the excellent, with the stupendous, with the amazing, with the mind-blowingly real, present, the man himself, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place. 
place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. podcast listener before I started doing uh, this podcast well, one, of, one of the ways in which I was kind of inspired to create this uh, show uh, that you're gracing uh, our presence on right now is uh, is through um, Aubrey Marcus who appeared on Joe Rogan's show uh, you know I guess really we could say Joe Rogan's show but uh, the whole idea came kind of after listening to those guys and uh, and I was like oh okay well I started doing stand-up comedy in New York, and I had a couple pod, like a little podcast with some friends. But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to dive into into this and start creating something. So, and now and now we're touching base, and this, you know, these these ideas that have kind of uh, taken place and formed over time have morphed and progressed into uh, creating something uh, totally new. So, welcome, welcome to the totally new. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I. Really appreciate being here and uh, also being included and able to speak on the subjects that you guys are interested in. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, there's really, in my mind, you know, we're, we're trying to have, I'm trying to have you know, thought leaders on, on the show. People that are, I feel like are, you know, in this game we play called life, there's some people that are, I think, in my opinion, standing up and saying, hey, shouldn't we play maybe a new game? Is it time for a new game to be played right now? And so I think you're one of those voices in, in being a, a thought leader and, uh, you know, uh, in our in our culture right now. So. Uh, so, yeah. So this is uh, this is this is what we do here. We just get we just dive right into it and we get, uh, you know, we get the compliments out of the way first and then we get <laughs> and then we get moving right into the thick of it. So. Um, so tell me, uh, Hamilton, uh, you are now doing uh, a project you have uh, in place called White Morpho, right? Well, we'll start with what you have going on that's new, and then maybe we'll backpedal a little bit. But tell me about uh, White Morpho. What's going on with that? Well, White Morpho is now the digital home for everything that we're doing in the Blue Morpho family. You know, kind of to backpedal from there, uh, in my early 20s, I went to the Amazon in search of new thought, in search of new ideas, in search of really hoping to find a mystical truth and something deeper to life itself. And uh, ultimately through ayahuasca and through the shamans that I met and really like these incredible uh, teachers went on this journey that has not ended yet, has brought me to the podcast today with you guys. Um, again, pleasure to be here. And it has led to uh, emerging of what we do on these different tours around the world and also specifically in Peru where we work with sacred plants and ancient traditions and uh, off the beaten path tours where people go to have uh, real spiritual awakenings, uh, personal experiences, often find love and soulmate connection through the tours themselves. We realized that we needed to expand beyond that to something that was global and year long something that could be shared all the time in a community form. And over the years, we were looking for the right mechanism and the medium in which to share that. 
and ultimately we landed on White Morpho. And so White Morpho is a digital home for everything that's going on inside the Blue Morpho and White Morpho communities, around all of the tours, around the lifestyle that we're representing, the thoughts and the, the movement and thought and the evolution of thought, and uh, really promoting just a, a happier and better lifestyle all the time. Cool. So you're you're creating the digital home. You're like the Mark Zuckerberg of the spiritual world now. That's your next journey. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, it's, it's a place for us to, uh, it's certainly a place for us to, you know, align in, in thought, understandings, explore beyond uh, where we currently are in our own understandings of our own life, but always bringing it back to the experiential, bringing it back to your own personal meditations and your own personal experiences. And so we have all of our integration courses there. We have a daily newsletter and a oneness activity. We have um, the sort of before going on a mystical tour, a sacred plan experience, uh, ways to prepare and all different kinds of materials about that. We have integration and post experiences. But the thing I noticed most in the sacred plant community was that people would come together for these really intimate, really intense, unbelievably visionary, incredible weeks to two weeks period of time, and then go back to a really fragmented life in what was known as modern society, and then would come again and go back to a place of fragmentation and experience that and tell us about that. And so over the, you know, really the last 15 years working with uh, Blue Morpho and, and Sacred Plant, tours, we were seeing how people were experiencing the coming and the going, having access to the plants in certain legal places in the world, and then being, uh, you know, separated from the plants where it was illegal and where people wanted to really, you know, still kind of follow the law and feel safe in their own ways in, in a responsible way working with the plants. And we just noticed that there was a real need to bridge the gaps everywhere in this, uh, you know, thought and mind space. And so we wanted White Morpho to do that. We wanted it to be a place where you could find resources to be able to have visionary experiences on your own and know that you're safe, to be able to have the tools and resources to be able to integrate if you have a really big experience or a bigger experience than you thought you were going to have, to be able to meet other people that were like-minded and sharing a real explorative and adventurous understanding of life and that sort of spirit of life and wanting to be part of that. And so really, I think that's the, the vision behind White Morpho and what we're trying to share with it. Wow. That's not, yeah, that sounds incredible. I mean, you're so right when you say that it's like, you know, I, I definitely have had that experience before going, uh, into the jungle, having a profound experience and then coming back into New York city and just to be, and being like, not really in a community. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, that is, that is a much needed thing. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's like how we we expand our consciousness. We expand the realm of of what our of what we consider to be consciousness, and uh, and and we we just kind of don't really integrate it into the modern uh, kind of digital space. Like there's this whole new realm now that exists for the past, I guess, twenty years or so. That is the digital space, the digital sphere, the the inter the internet land where we are, where where we're uh, you know lingering right now. So it's it's awesome to to put a place in there, to put a home in there, and to uh, include that expanded digital consciousness into this uh, ancient traditional shamanic uh, technique. Yeah, you know, I started about five or six years ago, uh, having a number of guests coming to Blue Morpho, right at a really expansive time, and most of them came from all different parts of tech. It was amazing. It was like 
the tech people um, really developed in, in their skills and arts and abilities all the way from people who work on uh, Hollywood movies to, uh, you know, people really coding behind the scenes at Google and Facebook and stuff like that. We're coming on our tours and we started to see this uh, interconnectedness between the way the ayahuasca ceremonies were playing in the visionary space and the way they were imagining the internet spaces. And it became fascinating to me. And I wanted to see if there was a way to merge tech and shamanism, tech and healing, tech and life transformation, tech and psychedelia and uh, consciousness exploration in a cohesive way. And we started to work on it for a number of years. And it was just a really fascinating exploration in how to be able to merge these vastly different but also similar worlds. And uh, it's finally coming together through a mixture of entertainment and music and video and multimedia, as well as podcasts like this. And I think instead of it being a single home, it's becoming many hubs that are all uh, becoming interrelated and networked through the internet, through people like you and Corey Allen and other visionaries who have taken the time to create these epicenters that speak of these topics and make mind expansion and consciousness exploration normal and part of a healthy uh, life. Yeah. Yeah. Included in a part of a healthy life. That's, that's so key. You know, it's, it's a, it's a piece of the puzzle just like everything else. And we've been so severed, I feel like from our mainstream world, we've been, we've had this severed connection. Uh, we've lost the, the connection, I think with the, the unexplainable, the mysterious, the mystical, the cosmic, you know, whatever you want to call it, that we have fallen into this materialist reductionist world, but yeah, you're right with the emergence of, of the internet because the internet is very, very psychedelic. I mean, you know, Steve Jobs said that taking LSD was like one of the, one of the, uh, you know, the best experiences that he's ever had in his life. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty mind blowing. Speaking of Corey Allen, and by the way, I'm so humbled to be included in that uh, sentence that you just said there, but, uh, but yeah, speaking of Corey Allen, uh, I was listening to your last podcast and Matt, he, he, you said it was a mind stretch, you know, it was like you guys get together, it seems like, and you guys jam out like, uh, you know, like musicians just playing and, and, and going off each other. And I'm just like listening, like right on, man, like I'm cheering, I'm cheering along. So it, you you said something excellent. You said, uh, uh, you know, the, there's a seeking for wisdom. There's like this seeking for knowledge and more and more. But sometimes what happens is people turn wisdom and that that experience into a concept or something more like they they make it a memory instead of it being like a reality. And then you were talking about this, like the progress of expanding ideas and how it's not really cyclical, but it's like spraying out there. And I know that's a, a kind of a lot to, to throw out at you, but maybe you can un unpack some of that because I thought that was uh, some really excellent stuff that you were touching on. Yeah, I mean... When Corey and I get together, we always enter into a flow state. And in the flow state, the ideas are allowed to just play and move. And he's not afraid at all to explore in, this, in the space of mind. And uh, one of the things we first started ever talking about in meditation was the willingness for the mind and the allowance of the mind and not a, a shunning of the mind and trying to get the thoughts away, but a really massive, inclusive space that could allow a dispersion and then a calming, you know, and... Uh, and we tap into that space and then and then explore the threads of thought and everywhere that they can go. Um, what's happening in thought is something that's taking place right now. 
And that's something that I think people uh, forget because the thought has a kind of associated time, typically past or future, oriented in the nature of how we are utilizing the thought to express something that's important to us. At the same time, we understand the thought while we're speaking. We know what we're talking about. You know, we're not, we're not somewhere else. And so um, because of that, we, we sometimes get tied into the time of it more than where the thought's taking place. And I used to, in shamanism, call that the epicenter of thought. And it was like a really sought-after place. You know, where does this thought really come from? Where does it really emerge from? And how does it really take place? And, uh, and it's, it's an ever place. It's not, it's not a, a singular place that, that is represented individualized. It's not just where our brains or quote-unquote minds are. It's, uh, it's of the universe itself. And it's a, it's a constantly evolving, continuous process between all of us. Your mind's thinking, every listener's mind's thinking, every person who's alive right now has a heartbeat that's going right now's mind is thinking, and it's a continuous process amongst all of us. And I, I think of it as an evolutionary process and, uh, and something that's ever growing. And some of the things for us, for whatever reason, have like a lot of sense. They're really important to us. And we culturally grab onto them and we make that kind of a meme or it becomes an institution that's too big to fail, like an airline or something like that. <laughs> you know, it becomes something in our in, right. in our thought and that becomes more and more and more until it's truly a part of our culture and our society. But then there's all this thought that's just happening, like this cloud of thought that, you know, most of it's repetitive, some of it's new. The thoughts happen from all over the world. There are these, you know, hundred monkey phenomena where the where two, three, four people have the same scientific discoveries or the same new inventions all over the world at the same time. You know, and so I was really talking about that. I was talking about how we are tapped into thought itself, how we're part of thought and how the thought is an ever growing phenomena in us. And most people use it as a very personified, very mine. These are my thoughts. These are only my thoughts. And they're very like, cut off from sort of that greater web of thinking. But, I, you know, that's something that I think we're talking about tapping into and utilizing the meditative space and that flow state space to allow it. Yeah. And it's it's this even this space here, this kind of like as I'm watching the the bars of my of the audio as you speak pass through the time that's ticking along the the it's like the, these thoughts are existing and they're moving and I can kind of it's almost like I can see them. But but yeah, there's there's this web, this connection. Uh, I think some some people refer to it as something called the newest sphere, the the consciousness of, of the planet. I think the collective minds of the planet, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, uh, and yeah, it, it, it is this, it is this interesting concept where, uh, it seems that I think people who have had experiences that allow them to, uh, expand their consciousness, to feel more connected in their own thoughts, in the limitless sea of the infinite of, of their thoughts, merging with the limitless sea of the infinite of everybody else's thoughts, creating this other thing thing that is, I can't even, you know, name it, but that is uh, a very interesting place to be. And, uh, I feel a lot of people are struggling to really, um, you know, get to that place and to, 
you know, I, th- I think they feel that they might be in a little bit of a, something like a prison uh, or something like that. Um, maybe a prison of their mind, but maybe also something from ex- external uh, external ways. So I guess what I'm getting at is, is, is this like, uh, you know, is this more of to do with the individual kind of unlocking something inside of them? Yeah, I think if you want to start, it, we first have an enculturalization in the fear of thought itself. I don't exactly know where it stems from in our past. The the you fear know, where, of, where real, real quick. The uh, fear of thoughts, like the content of them yeah. and, who, and, and what it is to have those thoughts and yeah. what it could mean to have those thoughts is something that creates an a, like internal reaction that's very, very profound in us. And right. not always a positive reaction. Often it's scary or how could I have thought that? Or people feel shame and guilt about their thoughts. And so I think the first thing is a calming of the fear around the thoughts to allow there to be an understanding of, of thought. Like, you know, to, to be able to imagine the ocean and not be scared of it. Right. You know, and to, to understand that if you're tapped into certain kinds of thoughts, that does not mean behavior. It does not mean direct action. It does not mean you're now going to become programmed because you had those thoughts to have to now act out those thoughts. None of that is is real in in the real world of thinking. We may be shown, you know, kind of images of that or stories of that through movies and drama and stuff, but it's not it's not like that. You can think about lots of things and discard thoughts as fast as you think about them like you would cards. You know, right. they're it's they're not something that that we have to really be scared of, but somehow we've become scared of them. So I think it starts with just calming that fear down. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was so eager to just jump in there, but it's, it's sometimes difficult over, over Skype, but, but I, I, I wanted, yeah, it's like the, 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 the emergence of these thoughts and then being afraid of them, you know, and, and, and looking at like myths and stories and religions throughout history, it seems as if we've, to me, it seems as if uh, we've personified these thoughts, and and uh, and maybe even also in the shamanic kind of spiritual sense, you know, the language that they use when they talk about the spirits and whatnot. Uh, and maybe you can elaborate further on that. But it's uh, it seems to me like the they all spring from our mind, and then we kind of personify them. We we make them characters, and we kind of give them life and, and make them real. And and you know, looking at uh, you know the myths of like you know the gods of the god of uh, you know, uh, hate or the the god of hell and those things. Those those might be like thought patterns, right? Or, or thoughts that are arising that we're giving, feeding life to. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, I know. I I understand exactly what you're sort of referring to, and that ultimately is a question of belief that I think is very hard to answer. But I, you know, hedge more to your side of the the understanding that we are using our brain mind all the time to understand or interpret anything. And so, so if I'm interpreting mythology and, you know, ancient Greek deities, or I'm interpreting shamanic mythologies, I'm using my brain and my mind to do that. And the people that wrote those mythologies and have the oral histories of those mythologies also were using their brains and minds to do that. And so I think it's fair to say that all of it is birthed from uh, the entire mythological construct is from all cultures is birthed from the collective imagination and from the mind and an interpretation of, you know, then, then what, what word do you want to use? And that's a, a very big question, the word of universe or the word of this or, or the whole thing or, or beyond the planet or whatever. I mean, there's so many ways to refer to, uh, 
sort of the greater unknown beyond us, but there it is. And here we are. So I think it's something that we just accept. Yeah. It's like, what do you, what do you want to believe in? Maybe like, what do you, if, if you understand, if we can calm our mind and kind of uh, understand our thoughts and, and get a, get a hold of this whole experience we're having, it, it almost seems as if like we can, we can pick, right? Like we can choose. It's like, why, why believe in, and why did the Hindus believe in the certain kinds of gods that they believed in at the time? Well, that just seemed to be kind of where they were at in their evolution of ideas and thoughts and where that particular culture was at that, at that time. Same thing with, you know, uh, all kinds of other things, even now today, you know, what are the gods that we worship today? I would say they would be, you know, organized religions, uh, governments and, you know, corporations, institutions of, uh, higher learning with so-called, you know, experts in their fields and whatnot. So the, and you know, money, of course, you know, these are all gods that, that we personify, we give life to, we worship and we kind of choose to believe in them. Right. Like we're like, if, if we have a choice to, to kind of, you know, go with creating certain kinds of thoughts, uh, what, you know, why do you think, um, well, I don't know what, what about, why do you think that we've, I think I have a pretty good idea, but yeah, maybe, I mean, like what, why do you think we've chosen or we've gone down the path that we've gone down simply a, an evolutionary thought process? And, and, uh, do you see like a new emergence of new kinds of deities or, or, uh, quote unquote gods, so to speak? I think in the shamanic, you're dealing with the psychomagical. And so right there, you have a, a real separation from Newtonian, Galilean, Copernican lines of thought, which is part of Western Enlightenment science and sort of the going paradigm of what's considered reasonable today. Right. The kinds of thoughts that come from shamanic cultures are ancient and ancestral, very much tap, tapping into what you were saying about like Hinduism 5,000 years ago or 8,000 years ago, or, you know, maybe in the very first uh consolidation of certain texts or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, and the formation of those ideas that they're deep and they're ancestral, they're ancient, and they're very imaginative in the way that they're trying to interpret and understand life. I think that, uh, the evolution of thought has been seamless. So all of those traditions have morphed and evolved ultimately into the Western enlightenment science traditions that now are part of you know, what you called sort of the Western deities of that are now worshiped as part of, you know, modern everyday life. Mm -hmm. And so, so in that psychomagical space, there's the formation of spirit all the time. The point of it is that it is not a static space. It's not an accountable space. It could not be counted for in a kind of understanding where you would think like in a cruel accounting or something that you'd, you'd use in business <laughs> to try to account for that space. The spirits are unlimited. A, sp a spiritual number. ledger. <laughs> yeah, there's no spiritual ledger really in that in that understanding. There's there are there are forms of shapes and understandings, light shapes. They have great impact to us in our lives. We understand them through mythologies. We understand them through visionary experiences. Um, you know, the powers that transform us through those are undeniable and have been accounted for now literally thousands of times. So I think we can just accept that through these incredible ceremonies, people have transformative experiences, you know, and then people continue to meet, quote unquote, these other shapes and forms. And in the Amazon, it was really interesting because the Amazon was very 
tied and rooted to nature itself. So it didn't require a lot of imagination far away from you to get into the idea of what they were talking about. So if they talked about a tree spirit, they're like, see the tree over there? And I said, yeah, that's the tree. They said, yep, that's the tree. They said, tonight, you're going to talk to that tree. And so that night I drink ayahuasca and they start singing the Ikaro of the tree, which is sort of like their sacred uh, phonetic system of communication with what they consider that tree to be. And then all of a sudden in my vision, there's the tree and I'm like, Oh my God, this is working. You know, <laughs> wow. How could that was very early in my British. I'm like, wow, this is working. Wow. I'm standing in front of the tree. I was standing in front of earlier today. Only now I'm in vision and now, but now the tree can talk to me, you know, yeah, and then yeah. the tree's talking to me. And so that's a very like rooted, very grounded understanding for them of what they're talking about. Now, that might be really hard for a Westerner who's never had the experience to understand, but in ayahuasca, that's just very common. And now they're saying you're having a communication with the tree spirit. Right? Now, they could also say a being could walk out of that tree in that vision that could look like X, Y, and Z, literally anything. Um, there's no limit to what that thing could look like, which is a little freaky at first until you understand that it doesn't really matter what it looks like. You know, it matters what it does, not what it looks like. So anything could walk out of the tree in your vision and you would see it there and then you could communicate with it. But typically the communication uh, is in some sort of language that you can understand. And then it begs the question, where is that communication taking place? And I always thought the communication is not taking place externally. That's the the mystery of the visionary experience is that it's taking place um, ultimately nexus within the physical body. You know, even though your experience of it has very little to do with the physical body at that time. And so then you have, you know, in experiences like that, real, real, I don't know, what they call spirits, you know. And then beyond that, they get into these astral realms. And then after that, it's it's like uh, video game technology. It really is like digital. It's the spirit numbers go in ayahuasca ceremonies into the hundreds of millions, trillions. So your imagination has to grow and grow and grow and grow to be able to handle these unbelievable uh, scopes and scales of space. The games being played in the visionary space through spiral galaxies, as you as a field of consciousness represent in that game, things bigger than things to us as you know physical form are just massive, like your body compared to the size of the Milky Way spiral galaxy. Or being in a shamanic ceremony where a spiral galaxy fits in your hand and you're looking at it literally in your palm and you can't believe it. You know, and so all of that is also considered part of that realm of deity and spirit. And I don't see any way how we can rationally separate our own brains and imagination from that realm. That's what we're using to tap into it. But once we've tapped into it, it's, uh, you know, again, like I said, under the term psychomagical, it's, it's an unbelievable way to perceive. You know, just an un- unbelievable way. Then, then we look at all of, I'm, or I do at least, I look at history and I look at all these uh, traditions and cultures from around the world that have tried to explain what being alive is. Not just believe in it, but try to explain it. And they ultimately explain it in what I found to be belief system. So I realized, okay, people explain their world in their own ideology. And often those ideologies include this psychomagical uh, context, you know, whether it's in Christianity with angels and, you know, an external God or in shamanism with deities and an external God or in Hinduism with, 
uh, other deities or in, in any other form, there's this much greater imaginative way to try to explain beyond what we know as like the, the true fact of right now. And so I see that the brain and the mind is connected to that. And it's, it's the tool that we use to express the con- interconnectedness of consciousness and what other people are calling spirit and deity. Yeah. What's the difference between looking at a plant? What's the difference between looking at an animal? What's the difference between looking at a jaguar? And then that night, uh, being in a vision where you see that same plant now as this flowing light, and then you see the jaguar as this flowing light, and then you uh, apply your understanding of physics and electron clouds to them, and you go, wow, maybe I'm just perceiving like an extraordinary expression to my normal senses of that very same thing. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you're using all of these tools, all of these, you know, you're using all your knowledge, your awareness, all the data that you have gained from all kinds of sensory input uh, experiences. And you're using that to formulate, it's like uh, tapping into a certain kind of area. Like maybe, you know, you talked about technology, like it's like, it's like, organic virtual reality almost, right? Yeah. And I thought when I was, you know, early in the Amazon working with ayahuasca and trying to figure it out, because it was very difficult at first, even to talk to the people there, their belief systems and mythologies were so rooted in how they spoke. And I didn't understand yet uh, their stories to understand what they were trying to communicate with me because they communicated via the stories itself. I was really trying to put this together. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm looking at it and I keep, you know, we do ayahuasca ceremonies all the time and we would go into the field. And then I kept hearing in my head how I was told how we filter out so much of the quote unquote universe of the earth around us. It's literally trillions of stimulus possible a second. And we filter most of it out and we focus on a very small amount of it to create our perception. And I started to get this idea that the ayahuasca was just making me way more receptive to what was already here. Right. Just making me way more receptive to the life of the forest. So I could walk through the forest in my own neurosis, hot and sweaty, tired and in my own headspace with my mind spinning. Or I could walk through that very same forest, realizing that the whole forest is alive. Every layer of the forest is alive. I'm walking through clouds of billions of insects that are alive. The, the roots all are under my feet, fully alive. And I am encapsulated in life. And then I could become receptive to that. I would have almost the exact same experience as if I were uh, in an altered state utilizing a plant spirit medicine to find that same state. And so I started to say, oh, it's a question of my receptivity here to the totality of the space and the life within the space and the energy within the space that started to make, you know, what they were talking about in the, the psychomagical make sense. It's like, yeah, all those trees are alive. And I just drank that alive tree. And now its vibration is in me, you know, and now I'm becoming very sensitive to its vibration. And now I'm able to have an extraordinary visionary experience of that vibration and a communication with it. Yeah, you put a you put another quarter in the uh, arcade and, and you're able to, to play a little bit more with it. Yeah, it's what, what does it feel like to be walking in the, the Amazon rainforest with that awareness, with the, what you were just describing? What does that feel like? Synergy. Yeah. Total rooted synergy, an equilibrium and an equanimity with the space where you're not in disharmony with space around you. 
there's no need for that disharmony. There's no need for a fear. There's no need for a, a concern in the mind outside of immediate danger. And so the fear levels go way down. The anxiety levels go way down. It's the exact opposite of what people would think once you get comfortable. I mean, at first, it's just like right out of a movie, you know, in the back of the canoe, any chirp, any sound, you're looking really fast from one side to the other. You're sure something's going to happen. But by like year two or three, you're pretty relaxed, you know, and uh, it's just beautiful. I mean, all I can think of is that you, you truly do feel as of, not, not even part of, like as of the nature around you and fully accepted in that space and fully safe within that space and aware and also knowledgeable. And, um, you know, things like getting startled and fear become purposeful instead of being a kind of psychological antagonist, you know, cause they can come and go. Something startles you for real. Cause that really is a big snake over there. Well, you go around it, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you go. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You... Like, okay, like I'm pretty calm. I'm like, whoa. I kind of like, wow, what was that? Oh, that's a big snake. Let's go around it. Okay, now I don't have to be scared anymore. But, right. you know, people were coming to the jungle scared all the time. Right. And they called it an anxiety disorder. And I'm like, whoa, why, why, why are they scared all the time? You know, where did the mechanism to turn off the fear go away? Why did it turn into a neurosis that now is all the time? Whereas in the Amazon, we would get scared all the time, but we would stop being scared all the time. And it was just a fundamental aspect of the culture there. And I thought it was fascinating because they didn't have language for the uh, ongoing complications and neuroses formed with getting scared and then staying scared. So they didn't even have words for like anxiety and stuff. I mean, I know they do in their language, but they never would speak them. There was no need. Right, yeah, it's just uh it just seems like it's uh it's us uh western uh, folk who uh seem to be deeply rooted in 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 a toxic neuroses uh and uh stuff that I I feel like uh you know is real there's it just works against us. It's uh, where we 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 you know walking around say the urban jungle here in New York City, you know, it's like you can people say they can feel the energy, but another thing you could feel is you could feel the the, the pace, you could feel the stress, you could feel the anxiety, and it, you can look at the environment that you're in. It's I think it just that's what it breeds, and so there's I guess a tendency for us to build these structures that house all these little things, and then we have in our minds structures that house little things, and we walk around that way, worrying about all sorts of things, thinking about the past, thinking about the future, but when you're in the jungle, you're just you're there. You're just, that's what you're doing. It's, you're just in the moment. You're walking around. If something happens, you deal with it and you move on. There's no reason to be all, uh, kerfuffled. Uh, I'm not, that's the, <laughs> so. I, like, I like that. Yeah. No, yeah. and I, you know, talking about those sort of like modern deities, you know, you, we were talking about some of the earlier ones that you mentioned, but one of the other ones is stress. Mm. And somewhere along the way, we got taught that stress is somehow good for us in terms of our work and in terms of our productivity. And uh, I don't think it really is. I would, I would counter that argument that I think in a relaxed state, you're much better at performance of any kind of performance, whether it would be a mental performance or a physical athletic performance. It would be, uh, you know, one and the same, whether it's a surgical performance, you know, something that was like truly, truly uh, detailed. The more relaxed you are, I think fundamentally the better you are at doing it. Yet yeah. our culture, you know, represents that, that hustle and bustle, really move, 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 stress state. And so uh, 
I think what we need to do in those environments is actually learn how to be relaxed while the stress is all around us. Participating in the environment, but still staying grounded, still staying present and being able to find a space. What I really think of is like underneath that vibration of the stress and then not worship it. Let others worship that and find a calm state within yourself, even though that stress is all around you. And I, it'll increase performance. Yeah. And I, and I, I like what you said, like not in engaging, uh, in it and, and kind of, I, I'm a big, big believer in that principle of kind of, you know, op- opting out, you know, choosing kind of not to participate, like, you know, vo- voting with your dollar is what people say, but, you know, actually putting into action, uh, things that connect and, and, and align with, with you and, 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 you know, make us in, in harmony of what we're doing. I feel that there's so many people walking around in life, you know, worrying about things because they feel pressured that they have to do these things or they feel like this is who I am. So I need to act accordingly into a certain way. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer, God damn it. You know, don't you know who I am? And I can't be seen doing these kinds of things and whatnot. And so there's, there's all this kind of unnecessary, uh, these unnecessary things that I think don't really serve us uh, so well. But, uh, the, the, I think the environment, uh, you know, that we're, that we're living in, I think we're, we're choosing to participate in that. Right. So we're back to this idea of, I think like a choice, like on some level, I think we are, or would you think that people, most people probably don't even realize that they, they have a choice, but for the ones that do, I think the way of, of choosing to kind of disengage and then, uh, put yourself in alignment with other things is definitely the healthy practice. Would you say that most people kind of don't even really know that they, they have that ability to, to participate in things like that, like that choice? Uh, let's yeah, let's go back into the concrete jungle and, you know, the real nine to five and that, that ever present clock and it's, you know, the yeah. lifestyle associated with it. And one of the things that I've really been hitting upon in my work with people recently is this understanding uh, that there isn't any need for us to have a dualistic antagonist within us about ourselves in that environment. So there's no reason to have ourselves hating on ourselves, hurting ourselves, judging ourselves, punishing ourselves, creating neurosis about ourselves. But somewhere that has been also enculturated in that stress and in that environment. Right. And so we need to take that, first of all, just out. We need to stop. And I brought that right in, in the inner circle and white morpho into our meditative practices to learn how to calm the mind, to be able to get out of that framing that somehow we got taught that has us in that negative framing about ourselves. And I think that's like the, the step one into getting the, the, you know, that whole fear paradigm to start to calm down. And then on top of that, I think we can start to explore into who we really are in that environment and how that environment's working for us. Otherwise, we're always in a reactory meth, uh, sorry, a reactory uh, experience. If you're always reacting to the prompt in your environment, then you can never make it your own choice. Right. So it's like it's a it's a prompted choice. It's not really your choice. So you ask me like you know, is it a choice or do they have it? Do they know it? It's just really like in psychology, it's really intense to find what that mechanism is. And I want to say it's a marketed choice. Mm-hmm. They have the, cho- everyone has the choice all the time. We all have the choice all the time, but it is highly influenced. And I don't judge it, judge that. It's just, it's highly influenced. Look at all around you, how that choice could be judged uh, and, and influenced. And so I want 
to you know provide us a space to realize we can get out of this dualistic antagonist within us. We can calm down within us and we can learn how to have the mind be happy with us, loving of us, supportive of us as an individual in our lives. And then from there, exercise that choice. Right. You know, and, and when you have that, then the, whatever that distorting element is in the choice, uh, whatever the, the influenced element in the choice that's kind of moving you to that choice isn't as strong for you. And you can feel more autonomy. You can feel more, uh, you know, centralized in your, I am and within yourself, your mind's calmer, your emotions are calmer and you, you really do feel better and more self-guided. Yeah, I I have a tendency to think that it's you know these these things that you you refer to as uh, you know brilliantly by the way I refer to as as highly influenced because that really is what it is highly influenced and I have a tendency to think that there are these kinds of what I like to call like Frankenstein uh, monsters like it's the these things that we invent in the hopes of in the pursuit of excellence and the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and a pursuit of kind of owning and controlling and putting things in order. So we pursue these things and then we invent these things and we invent them to serve us. And we're like, yes, we're excited. We've, we've, we've achieved this wonderful, uh, you know, marvel of innovation. And now we have this, this, this monster that's going to serve us. But then what happens eventually it, it turns on us or, you know, it's maybe it serves us for a little bit and then we don't have use for it anymore. Maybe, you know, something like that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's like, I think these are just necessary cycles maybe, you know, like, uh, probably the first guy that invented, uh, you know, invented like, uh, fire from, uh, you know, caveman times, they were probably like, what's this lunatic doing? You know what I mean? Like we're, 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 we're good with the old ways, you know, not seeing and whatnot. <laughs> I think, that, you know, first of all, I want to go to that. What we call modern is young. Yeah. It's young in time history. So what we call modern, modern marvels and modern is young in history, mm -hmm. right? History is way deeper than we're usually taught to think about. And so I, to everybody listening, I just want to open up the idea to allow the mind to go into a macrocosmic scale of history a little bit, you know, to understand like a 15,000, a 3 million, a, a 1 billion year history, you know, something like that more than like a 50 year history or a decade based history. Right. And just kind of give a greater context to it. And then we start to see, wow, most of what we're surrounded by in our life are modern inventions. They're post-industrial revolution inventions that we're really experimenting with in maybe four, five, six generations since some of them were invented and some of them were invented in our generation itself, you know? And so because of that historical context of newness, I think, you know, we're not really sure how the future is going to play out with everything that's been created and the way that it's all been created and the way that it's been formed. What I think is really interesting is where you start to hear people blame their own systems as the system and then feel that they are out of balance and out of alignment with the system and serving the system. And I find that to be really interesting language mm -hmm. for citizens or members of a society to use in their normal everyday life. You know, and I've heard it more and more and more and more and more where the complexity of the digital age, the complexity of technology, the complexity of quote unquote the systems the way I've been, you know, told about them. It's fascinating to think that we've moved away from these are our systems, and this is our democracy, and this is our country, 
and we are the citizens of, of this world and to have this identity and, and understanding associated with it to this kind of separation associated with it and blame. Mm. And I think that's what we have to get out of. We need to release the idea of, of dissociation and separation from all of the things that we're connected to in our life. And then we understand that this, you know, this is, this is our life. This is, this is where we were born. This is our time. These are the creations that we're participating with now. These are the technologies. We have the right to choose which ones to use in our life and which ones not to use. We have the right, like you said, where to place your dollar on the, or your money on the things that you want to have in your life. And I think that there's a lot of room to define that space and to be creative and to be able to make it work for you. You know, but we have to get out of this idea of blaming the system and get into an idea that it's our system. This is our system. This is our society. This is where we are in history. This is really happening. It's not an abstraction. It's not TV. It's not a data stream. Those are all things that give us glimpses and understandings of the world today, but just glimpses and understandings. And I think we need to embrace the world today and, uh, and start from there. Wow. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about before about the thoughts, you know, just kind of realizing that they're all our thoughts or they're, 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 there's all this realm of thoughts that come, but we don't necessarily have like, have to identify with our, you know, like you were saying with our country, our this, uh, but, but we can actually be a part of the whole thing, everything, everything that's happening. We can be a part of it all and we can accept it all and we can just live in it all. It's, it's pretty difficult, I think, for a lot of people to kind of really grasp that. So I think that's where the work that you do comes in so, so, so well, because it's really a process of un, unraveling, you know, like gently unraveling or gently unpeeling maybe a lot of the kind of, uh, things that we've gotten ourselves into this, uh, kind of mess that we've, uh, we've gotten ourselves into, so, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, it's, it really, I think, cause there's a lot of people right now talking about, you know, this is, uh, this is a time where, you know, shit's going down, you know, that shit's going to, but this, like you said, this is kind of, this is our time. This is our, so there's, is there a degree, would you say that there's like a degree to kind of, um, because uh, we're talking about, you know, I guess people being highly influenced, and then you're, you know, you're talking about not really blaming maybe the 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 influence, but kind of accepting it and being a part of the influence, right? Is that right? What I'm saying is that we have an influence on our choices, and we need to be aware of those influences. Right? That's very important around how we make any of the choices that we make. Otherwise, I said we're always responding in a, in a nature of a prompt you know, to a kind of choice. And then, then maybe we don't feel the solidarity of that choice. And we don't really feel the guidance that that provides us as we're always exercising the nature of that choice. Right. You know, that's, that's the idea that I was expressing. Okay. You know, where, where we take it is, is, a an understanding that, um, through the work that we do through our meditations, through the, dedicated focus and desire that we really have to live a more fulfilling and uh, really like healthier, expanded, like really amazing experience, something that you feel connected with, something that you truly love, something where your mind is, is open and you're not as encumbered by uh, what everyone thinks of as like the mundane difficulties of life. 
what I have found is through our work, you, you, you dedicate yourself to that. You do that work. You do it, you know, every day, but we have to make it fun. We have to make it enjoyable. We have to make it something that you want to be a part of. And then you find that your own transformation in life is consistent. It's continuous and the benefit is all the time. And it's actually, uh, an incredible way to live. It's an incredible way to live, to be expanding into life, to have the fears that keep us constricted and confined, uh, you know, literally melting away week by week by week. So that as you, as you experience life, you're allowing yourself even more experiences that are expansive and that really promote your own well-being and the well-being of those around you. Yeah, man. Uh, I love, I love you said expanding into life. That is, I just got such a vivid image of, of expanding into life. That's, that's, that's beautiful. It's uh, yeah. I mean, and, and so I guess kind of, I didn't really articulate what I was trying to say a little bit before, but, um, but one of the things that I notice is that I notice a lot of people feel like, you know, I think this this happens in two in two circumstances with kind of people who are you know quote unquote spiritual type of people. I guess people like myself, you you know, people that that exist in this kind of realm, and and also you know kind of mainstream you know uh, like they say in Harry Potter, muggles you know so to speak you know there's a mainstream uh, people, but they, there seems to be this kind of search for more understanding, more knowledge, more wisdom, more. Uh, and search for maybe more more accomplishments, more something like in in I think maybe in the mainstream kind of uh, world, people are trying to accomplish things and they're really trying to uh, get to some place and get to somewhere. And then I feel like for a lot of people that I know, maybe in the more kind of spiritual meditative world, there seems to be uh, this kind of trying to get to a certain kind of understanding to get to a larger, more expanded state. Uh, and I guess what I'm trying to say is it seems as if we're, we're hoping, and I think for a lot of, uh, you know, people like myself as well, like what, uh, for, for a while I thought like, okay, I want to know, you know, the, the reason why I started exploring with psychedelic drugs is because I want to know, uh, I wanted to know things. I wanted to learn things. I wanted to see what what it was out there. So part of that experimenting was, you know, I started to get to a point where I felt myself falling into like a trap of of like where I felt like, okay, I'm trying to kind of gain something or I'm trying to like really possess something or, or something like that. Um, you, you know what I mean? And it's, and it just, it was like, okay, that's not really what this is about. Like, it's not really necessarily about that. Um, so yeah, it's not necessarily a question there, but just kind of let's maybe like work, work with that. It's, it's, uh, yeah, just that, that kind yeah, of level of, of gamifying everything. Sure. And shamanism that is referred to as a test, that whole thing you just described mm. where you're using the plant one way and then all of a sudden you've altered in your use of the plant and you're questing for something. And you're not going to find it with the plant. The plant's going to give you the exact opposite, really. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to have to find out that it was because you changed the nature of your own intention. And uh, you have to alter then again your intention. And usually in ayahuasca, it'll come with some significant purging. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're going to give give up and out, literally physically out of you. uh, You know, you'll retch out of you. Number two, out of you. Expanding into life, yeah. Yeah, that (laughs) whole thing is. That whole thing that was going on in the mind that was making you think that that expansion um, 
you know, to make you think that expansion was happening when it really wasn't. Because what happens is when you really become like rooted on that quest and you become really focused on that single thing and the nature of the quest, look at the nature of the intention. It becomes like a laser beam. And the expansion is really a wide openness. And so when we first come to the plants, like the very first time, it's I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know. What it'll, I mean, you might have a lot of ideas in, that you'll make up, but you really don't know what that experience is going to be like. After that, there's a comparison that starts. You know, it starts over and over and over and over again. And so that would be a place in shamanism, like I'm saying, where you kind of like got off path a little bit and you have the test and you realize, oh, I just woke up from that. Wow. No, my real intention is to keep questing into the unknown, not just searching for that thing I thought I was searching for. And then I release that finite expression of my intention. I open up into a bigger space, pass the test and move on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was a that was a that was a hard test, man. That was a, it is a hard test. Yeah, yeah. That's a really hard test because you can go for a long time in experiences like that, and you can see people. It's really hard in other traditions that can spend a whole lifetime in that. Yeah, you know. So, so with the plants, you can accelerate your way through that to realizing, wow, I've become a, a coveting of that one thing, or or all of a sudden I made that the trophy not realizing it, you know, something like that. And then the plant will help you, you know, wake up from that. But I think the simplest thing uh, is to make your intention based in a, a core fundamental honesty, a core fundamental knowledge, and that you're waking up or opening up into that. And Julio gave me that very early on. And I would extend that teaching to anybody. You're a mentor, just right? a real gift. Yeah, he was the, the oldest. Yeah, Julio... Jerene Pinedo was really like the grandfather teacher of mine and the one who walked me through the entirety of Amazonian apprenticeship, you know, to the, to the point that he considered me a master. And it was a, you know, incredible relationship until he passed on. That's amazing. Yeah. He, he was like your, your Yoda, right? Totally. That's literally, awesome. I mean, literally he was. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's incredible. Um, yeah, what a, what an incredible story, you know. I mean, and uh, you know, I know you go into a lot further detail about your your journeys down into the jungle and 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 whatnot. And you know, we're kind of talking about we're kind of all over the place here, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, podcasts where you go into that. And I've I've you know, I've, like I said, been a fan, listened to a lot. And uh, you know, there there's uh, you know, if we want, if you, if you have the time and you want to, we can we can talk about that as well. Um, some more about maybe your experiences down there, but. Real quickly, I just wanted to kind of uh, mention what you something that you just said. You know, for me, I kind of fell into this little trap where I was like searching for the meaning of life. Like, you know, like that was my that was my quest: search for the meaning of life. And for the longest time, I thought like I was going to find it. Like, there was just going to be a surprise party, you know, waiting around the corner from like the building, and they were all going to pop out and go, "Ta-da!" Like, here's the meaning <laughs> of life. And like, I was just going to be like, you know, but it doesn't work that way, does it? No, no, it doesn't work that way at all. That sounds a lot more like that movie, The Game, yeah. where at the end of a really bad, long series of scenarios, all <laughs> of a sudden, oh, look, it was just a big game. No, it, it, no, it's not like that. The meaning of life is uh, that term, I think, will take the mind on its own spin in its own direction, and I would actually stay away from it. Yeah. I, would, uh, I would look for meaning in experiences that are deeply consistent and um, fundamental to being alive. And I think that's what most people gloss over and disregard, something like gravity itself, like the thing that keeps you in the chair. 
I think is, uh, it has more meaning in the meaning of life than anything we would find in a vision. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that question comes from the, the product of the society and the cultures in which we exist in, in our, in our world here, because in the, you know, it seems to be this kind of this, uh, we, we live in, in somewhat of a mainstream kind of, uh, staircase culture, if you will. Like there's, we're walking up to this thing. There's something coming. It's on the other, you know, whatever it is, but there's this, this, this materialist, reductionist, uh, understanding, quantifying, putting everything away in boxes. But it's not like that in the Amazon jungle. It's not like that when you're, when you, uh, yourself were learning to, uh, you know, shamanize, uh, learning how to be, uh, a master shaman, there's a different understanding. I think we touched on this before, right? That there, and Joseph Campbell, who I love, uh, talks about this, that they're living in the mystery down They're living in the complexity, right? Is maybe you can expand a little bit on, on that, right? Sure. You know, first of all, there's no separation between spirit and normal states of consciousness in the Amazon for the people living there. Mm-hmm. Spirit is part of everyday life. So apparitions are part of it. Things that Westerners would call ghosts are part of it. Communications with the what we would call the other side or other extraordinary worlds is all part of it. So they live in a psychomagical context. That doesn't mean that they're completely irrational and unreasonable. They know arithmetic, they know math, they can read and write basic Spanish, uh, really high literacy rate. But their belief systems and the way that those belief systems connect into their imagination is incredibly imaginative, and it's it's an incredible way of understanding their reality and their you know their experience in the forest. From there, that's their normal everyday life. From there, they start uh, going into psychomagical pursuits of real artistry that turn into medicine that turn into mythology, that turn into an understanding of the forest and the plants, literally knowing hundreds and hundreds of species of medicinal plants and how to be able to use them, where uh, that knowledge base was formulated over thousands of years of living there and going even deeper into the experiences. And I think that, you know, from a, a Western standpoint of the meaning of life, everything that I just mentioned about life in the Amazon is inherently expressing that meaning of life. So from morning to night, they're in the meaning of life, in the forest, living with the forest, having the experiences like that. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. It just means that it has meaning to them the entirety of the time. And there isn't a feeling of being cut off from deeper meaning or greater connection. I think that the fundamental mythology is built in deeper life and greater connection. And not a greater connection waiting for you after this life, like uh, Christian mythology or Judeo-Christian mythology, but rather, or a, a reincarnating life experience, like an Eastern philosophical uh, concept, they're saying that that connection and that meaning is happening right now. And if you would like to discover it, you can drink ayahuasca with them. And as many times as you need to figure it out and discover it for yourself, you know, and the shamans there will you know, keep you safe and, and in the space to be able to go on that journey and have that discovery. And so the life itself is built within the spirit. And then on top of it, they have all of these practices and the practices go deep. You know, they had a lot of time to develop their practices. 
Yeah. Yeah. A lot, lot, lot more time. Like you were saying before, we are, we're, we're so limited sometimes with our course of, of time, maybe because of, you know, we're living in the United States and, you know, our history, uh, you know, so our so-called history, you know, started uh, 300 years ago or whatever, but, you know, really it's much more than that. There's much, uh, there's much more, but there's also the way that we learn as well is, is different. Like, you know, you're saying, you know, if you want to understand about ayahuasca, just drink some ayahuasca. And I'm a huge fan of, I'm a huge proponent of direct experience. I think if you want to know about something, if you want to learn something, then you have to have the experience to understand that for, for most things. I think that we in the Western world try and, you know, it's like, you would never just go to like an ayahuasca class, really, if you wanted to become a shaman and just have like a, you know, your instructor write some things down on a chalkboard and then take a Scantron test. That wouldn't really make you qualified to know what you're talking to, to 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 practice, right? I mean, there's there's a different level of understanding, right? Absolutely, I think Western Enlightenment science is based in observation and theory, and it's an extension upon an an apprenticeship based culture. And then ultimately forms into what we think of as Western specialization of profession and titles and the work and capacities and skills associated with it. It's how you get your doctors and your lawyers and it's how you get your, the people that run the financial institutions and the banking institutions. It's just it's part of our society. And down there, they're still very much based in the apprenticeship culture. So when you're deep in the Amazon, you have uh, agriculture you can learn. You can learn uh, how to work wood. And to be able to make canoes and boats so you can become a boat maker or a paddle maker, something like that. And, uh, or you can learn the arts of the forest, but that's really about it. You can fish, you can hunt, uh, you can know how to help people in terms of building of houses. But otherwise, there's very limited expressions that the people can specialize in. And then there are the shamans who are interested in this extraordinary world beyond that of the immediate forest and they find it through the plants that they work with and in the amazon it's there's lineages of different kinds of shamans that practice with uh that are named by and and the practices associated with different plants so ayahuasca shamans are ayahuasqueros tree-based shamans are called paleros um sanango-based shamans are sanangueros tobacco shamans are tabaqueros Toe shamans or toeros. So there's all these different kinds of uh, shamans and practitioners that are exploring the deeper and deeper and deeper realms of the interconnectedness of us and the life itself, mm. or us and life itself. And it isn't a question of, of separation and specialization and observation. It's all apprenticeship learning. Right. So from the beginning to the end, it's apprenticeship. So you see there, uh, I don't know, the two-year-olds follow the four-year-olds who follow the eight-year-olds who follow the 12-year-olds who follow the 18-year-olds up the age chain as everybody's learning all of the crafts and skills, you know, that are available. And then after that, like I said, these specializations into, for those who are interested in the mysterious, into the plant, you know, and here we just have such a different culture of learning. Here we start with an observational theoretical space. You have to be able to abstract your logic and reason within that, perform on tests, and then ultimately perform well in institutions, uh, uh, academic institutions, and then you know continue to move on up that chain. If you want to play that game, obviously, if you're not interested in that, which many people are not, they find themselves in all different parts of, of society. But down there, you're going to go to basic school. Uh, you're going to get a 
like I said, rudimentary education in mathematics and history and, uh, and literacy. And then after that, you're going to learn directly from the forest and directly from the people around you. Then you're going to have an apprenticeship based culture. So it was interesting for me because I graduated from the university of Colorado in the year 2000. And then I was in the Amazon in apprenticeship in 2002. And so it was kind of like taking a little bit of time after college and then I went right back into a whole new form of education that was now going to be completely experiential. And with the shamans I worked with, literally, like I said, their training was drink this, not even tell you about it. Yeah. Afterwards, have you tell them your experience and then, and then they wouldn't even tell you about that. It'd be, Oh, that's nice. That's about it. That's all that feedback you'd get. You know, you just have to work through it and keep churning and working through it. But it was all about movement. It wasn't about just believing something. It was about learning and continuing to grow in your knowledge base all the time and expanding and learning about uh, the true nature of connection with the universe around you, but immediately around you, right. the forest itself. Yeah, the forest itself, everything there, connecting with that. Um yeah, you like you mentioned, uh, you know, people that some people are just not interested. I feel, I don't know how. Maybe I'll uh, real quick. Actually, I should just let you know that we're we're uh, heading up on an hour. Do you have a little bit more time than that? Is that all right? Or yeah, a couple more minutes. I can answer cool. another question too. Cool, awesome, great. Um, yeah, so like I think a lot of people I I notice, and a lot of people that listen to this show and message me, you know, have I feel like a sense of this, you know. Uh, not interested in the kind of game that's currently going on here and, and may, might want to try something else. So what do you recommend, I guess, for, for young people out there who are, you know, feeling like maybe they don't want to enter into uh, playing a particular game and they, they want to uh, explore uh, different areas of consciousness and, and learn how to maybe, you know, get centered as, uh, as you have, uh, I, I downloaded that ebook that you have on whitemorpho.net. So tell, tell some people, I guess, you know, about how, the, how they can maybe go ahead and do that. And of course, you know, uh, talk about, talk about, uh, some of the things that you're, that you're offering over at white morpho, maybe would be able to help them. Sure. I think the first thing is it starts with intention. And so, your intention is the most important part of this. That is something that you're really interested in doing and that you can be dedicated to. And for, then from there, you need to find the tools and support to be able to go on a journey of that intention of exploration and openness and discovery for yourself and what will ultimately impact the greater expression of your life. And so really the question always was, well, how do you, you know, find those tools? And so in my case, I, took a backpack and went around different parts of the world and ultimately looked for teachers down in Peru and created kind of this whole world around the pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of extraordinary experiences of consciousness. Um, and so what we found really, and, and sadly, was that there was a real lack of tools for people in the world. There's like a true lack of it. And so, like I was saying before, we spent, you know, the last five years developing all different kinds of tools for life improvement and for expansion of consciousness that you can use in conjunction with sacred plants. You can use in conjunction with mind altered and psychedelic experiences of your own choosing. We always just, uh, you know, always are based in the intention of professionalism and responsibility to the nature of our practices. And so we ask that everybody using our tools maintain that same level of responsibility and what they're exploring in terms of themselves. 
you know, and so we started to create uh, courses. Uh, the Inner Circle is a video-based monthly group. We have weekly calls. We uh, talk about and discuss all of our different kinds of extraordinary and, and psychedelic and sacred plant experiences, as well as just life, literally life itself, what we're going through and how we can uh, better improve our lives and change the state of our consciousness in association to our life as a way of improving life. And so we put together videos. Um, at the same time, we created a label called Source Inter Independent Entertainment. And Source Independent Entertainment creates all different kinds of music-related journeys and multimedia expressions that go way beyond uh, normal music listening experience for the altered state. So the whole idea is that you can go into an altered state, listen to these kinds of uh, tracks, music, sounds, multimedia experiences, and have it really enhance and support and provide a thread, just like the Ikaros in an ayahuasca ceremony, for um, you know, your consciousness exploration. So we have all of these things that are coming out this year. I'm also going to release, I think, in August or uh, September, a book that I've written about um, my apprenticeship and what I went through to be able to learn all of these different things and share them with people. And so we can provide a real context for what a traditional Amazonian apprenticeship looks like. And then we can see from there, really like the whole palette that's available from uh, really meditative, very gentle experiences, all the way to ramping it up to ayahuasca and San Pedro and peyote in different sacred circles all around the world. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, wow. I didn't know about the uh, source independent entertainment. That sounds incredible. Um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I've, I've poked around on the white morpho site and it looks beautiful and amazing. And, and just, uh, yeah, like you said, there's a lack of tools and this is such a tool right here. And, and, uh, Thank you so much for for spending time with me and our listeners here at Mike Adelic. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure to, to talk with you and have you on. One of the questions that I usually ask people as we're wrapping the show up is, you know, what is your kind of, what's your, your vision for what you would want, uh, you know, experience to, to be like, you know, what your, <laughs> your vision of, of, I guess, um, you know, I, I, I like I, I pose like a almost utopian level question at the end here. Like, uh, you know, if you, if you could have your perfect world, what would it look like? But I know that's not necessarily the case, but what would you hope that would be a good vision for humanity, for our experience, for life, for earth, for Gaia, for, for everything for right now, what would it be a good vision to, to, to hang out in right now for you? That's a good question. Uh, it deserves, it deserves at least a second of thought. So I think I want to give it that second of thought and then answer. Cool. I think all the, the, uh, the listeners should try and answer it for themselves as well. Everybody, let's think together. Everybody think together. Exactly. Uh, talking about that collective mind and sharing in that collective mind and thinking about uh, something like that. Here we it's go. such a big vision. Yeah. Such a big vision. Um, I think we have to see beyond the difference in culture and understand what humanity means. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think what we're missing is humanity, like the true understanding of a global humanity where our mind, instead of having our minds seeing everybody through all the differences, we need to see why we're all here together, why we're all of this earth together now in this time. And I just think of that as humanity, all of us.
the, the true collective. Yeah. Wow. Well, what a way to end it. That I think is, wow. Just uh, let's think about that together for, for a little bit, folks. What it is to understand each other. You know, we have all these symbols and these languages and we're using this technology that's like a technic, you know, mediated telepathy kind of thing. And all this stuff, we're trying to understand each other. We're trying to find each other. We're trying to sit with each other. And uh, as Ramdas says, you know, walk each other home. Um, that's uh, that's beautiful. I won't say any more because I think you nailed it right there, Hamilton. That was, once again, absolutely just such a pleasure to speak with you and an honor to have you on my podcast. And uh, you know, uh, this was this was fantastic. Uh, I, I can't wait to uh, to release this one. Thank you so much uh, again, everybody. Go to hamiltonsouther.com. Go to white morpho. Uh, .net and anywhere else, Hamilton, where people can connect with you and find you and follow your work? Absolutely. Uh, BlueMorphoTours.com as well. Come check us out. I'd love to meet you all and just continue our exploration of consciousness and a more open mind. Excellent. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Peace. You know what to do if you love this show. Share it, like it, spread it with your friends. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you could go on iTunes and leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Whatever you do, thank you for listening. Much love to you all. Peace. <laughs>